So are you ready for the word? Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 1. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse number one, I want us to look and pay very close attention to this phrase. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this phrase, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us. Some translations will say entangled, entangles you. But tonight we want to focus on the subject, will God forgive my repeated sinning? Will God forgive my repeated sinning? In other words, will God forgive me if I keep committing the same sin over and over and over again? This is a subject we don't talk about. You don't hear very many sermons about God forgiving sins that we commit over and over and over and over again. And yet this is a question that many people will ask. Will God forgive me if I keep committing the same sin over and over and over? Stuff we don't talk about. Heavenly Father, we ask you to open our ears, our hearts, Lord. We ask you, God, that you would speak to us and through us and in us today Anoint your word today, Lord, as I preach your word. Let it go forth in power and boldness. And everyone shouted a great big amen. Amen. The phrase, the sin that so easily ensnares us. Now, I think what's interesting about the book of Hebrews, now it's important that you pay very close attention. um, I know it's easy to get distracted, but you'll lose me in the process if you're not really paying attention. So, uh, because I've got lots to cover in a short amount of time. It's interesting to me that in the book of Hebrews, this book is not written to the unconverted. It's written to Christians. Now, how do I know that? Well, there's several indications that the book of Hebrews is written to Christians. For instance, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it's obvious that this book is written to Christians. The Bible says, therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. So he's speaking to Christians here that the word, the Greek word for perfection is maturity. He's saying to Christians, I want you to grow. I want you to go on to growth. I want you to, let's, let's leave, it's time for us to leave the elementary principles and go on to growth. We've been here at this spot for a long time. It's time for us to grow. And so he's speaking to Christians here that it's time for us to grow. And in the same book, in Hebrews chapter 12, and verse number 1, he says to these people, he says to these Christians, he says to them that you've got to be careful that you don't let a sin so easily ensnare you or entrap you. So is he talking to unbelievers or is he talking to believers? He's talking to believers here. So I think, it, I think we can rightfully say that believers who are Christians in this book is probably dealing with some sort of sin, some sort of weight or sin. And the writer of Hebrews says you've got to be careful because this sin will entrap you or enslave you. So he's speaking to Christians as struggling with sin. Now, I, um, I, I want you to pay attention to this phrase, Hebrews 12.1, look at it again. He says, I want you to pay attention to the phrase here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin, every weight and the sin. You see the article before sin, the sin. So he's speaking of a particular sin. He didn't use, uh, he didn't say it was uh, plural. He didn't say sins. He said the sin. So obviously there is a particular sin that these Christians were dealing with. Now, rightfully so, 
I think if you do a correct reading of the book of Hebrews, if you do a correct reading of the book of Hebrews, I think that the sin is unbelief. Now, why do I think that the sin is unbelief? Because if you go to Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1, what does Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 1 say? Hebrews 11, verse number 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews is called the Hall of Faith. Everybody shout the Hall of Faith. So the whole chapter, chapter 11, deals with what? Faith. Am I right about it? Somebody say you're right about it. I mean, verse number 4, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered, uh, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Verse number 5, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death. Verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the book of, uh, of Hebrews, especially chapter 11, is dealing, with the, is dealing with the subject of faith. And now you come to chapter 12, chapter 12, verse number 1. Go to chapter 12, verse number 1, the scripture that we just read. Chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin. What do you think the sin could be? If chapter 11 is about faith, what do you think the sin could be in chapter 12? Unbelief. Let's say that again. Chapter 11 is about faith. Is that correct? Everybody shout Amen. Chapter 11 is about faith, the hall of faith. And then you come to chapter 12, verse number 1. He uses that particular phrase there, the sin. So I believe that the sin could be unbelief here. Unbelief could cause you to be entrapped. Unbelief is the sin that separates us from Christ. Now, that's one interpretation of it, and I think that's a very good interpretation, that the sin could be unbelief. But I also believe... <coughs> That the scripture has the article the before sin because I believe that it could mean that there could be a particular sin that the individual is wrestling with. There is something that the individual is wrestling with. There is a particular sin that they are wrestling with. You see, ladies and gentlemen, there is... And sometimes we don't want to deal with this because it's a touchy situation, but I believe it's true. Although we are saved and we love Jesus, sometimes... We wrestle with the sin nature. And let me sure you understand this. The forgiveness of sin does not remove the sinful nature. Just because you are forgiven of your sin, the forgiveness of sin does not remove the sinful nature or the tendency to sin. You can shout and say that you're forgiven and, and celebrate the forgiveness of God. And of course, we are thankful for the forgiveness of God. But just because you are forgiven and just because He pronounces a pardon upon you because you have confessed your sin doesn't mean that the tendency to sin or your sinful nature is eradicated. So forgiveness of sin does not eradicate the human nature. It does not eradicate the sinful nature. You still have to deal with the sinful nature. It is no wonder the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans and told us to crucify the desires of the flesh. Because you've got to wrestle with it. There is a wrestling of it. So the forgiveness of sin does not remove our sinful nature, nor the tendency to sin. And just because you have a tendency to sin doesn't mean you are sinning. Just because you're tempted to sin doesn't mean you've actually sinned. Amen. So these Christians, obviously, maybe they were, maybe they were falling into the sin of unbelief, or maybe they were wrestling with a particular sin over and over. It could be both of those interpretations. But the question that we got to ask ourselves is, why does people who are Christians wrestle with the same sin over and over and over again? Either, maybe tonight you wrestle with the same sin. <clears throat> maybe you have asked God to forgive you and, and you felt like you've got victory over it and then you fall right back into it. And then you feel guilty and shameful and you confess it and repent of it and get victory over it and then you fall back into it. It reminds me of the story that's found in the book of Judges. If you read the book of Judges in the Old Testament, there was a cycle that you find in the book of Judges. You find, you find the people of God uh, needing deliverance from their enemy, and God sends deliverance because they cried out. God delivered them. 
They had a time of celebration and they fell right back into the sin. And then they cried for mercy and forgiveness. God forgave them. Then there was celebration and then they fell back into the sin. How many would testify that that is a picture of our life? We cry out to God for God to forgive us and to have mercy and then we fall back into the sin and then there's a sense of relief that God has forgiven us and we're back on course with God and then we fall right back into the sin. There's a cycle. There's a cycle. It's called functional bondage. I've referred to that word before. We're in bondage to the sin, but yet we're still functioning. It's functional bondage. And the question that we got to ask ourselves tonight is why do Christians commit the same sin over and over and over again? Well, number one, I believe it's because it's simple. We have a sinful nature and some sins we are more prone to than others. There may be some sins that you are more easily prone to than others. Maybe there's alcoholism that runs in your family. Maybe there is, you've been around that environment all your life. Maybe there's a tendency to go that way. Doesn't mean that you will, but maybe there are sins that you're more prone to. There are some sins you'll never be uh, tempted by. That absolute disgust you, but there's other sins that you have a, that you're more prone to. So number one, it's because of the sinful nature. We're just more prone to certain sins than others. Number two, it could be because we in, because we in our past life have cultivated habits of sin which now plague us even after our own salvation. So maybe you were involved in a certain sin in your past life. And you were habitual about that sin. Matter of fact, maybe you enjoyed that sin. Because there is fun in sin for a season. You enjoyed it. You was in sin. You cultivated that habit in your life. Well, forgiveness doesn't break habits. Just because God has pardoned you from your sin and you're forgiven of your sin doesn't mean that the habit is broken. And sometimes we think that just because we've confessed our sin and we've repented of our sin, that doesn't break the habit of sin. Somebody say amen up in here. So it could be because you have cultivated habits in your life which now follow you after you are saved. Number three, it could be that in your spiritual weakness, after becoming a Christian, you continue to develop habits that strengthen your sin. Maybe that's why you are struggling with the same sin over and over and over because you haven't formed new healthy habits in your life. If you have a problem with porn, then it's probably not very good for you to be looking at things on Netflix or looking at things on TV that would cause you to go look at that. Can I hear an amen? You've got to develop new healthy habits in your life. So why do Christians commit the same sin over and over and over again? Number one, let's review them. Number one, it may be because you are just prone to certain sins. You're just easily prone to a certain sin because of our human nature, because of our sinful nature. You see, people, people will say, you know, let me just break it down to you, ladies and gentlemen. Every one of you have a sin nature. You have the ability to commit murder. You have the ability to commit sin. Every one of you have a sin nature. But when you become a believer, you receive a new nature, which is Christ. But you've got to crucify that old nature. Can I hear an Amen. You've got to continually crucify that old nature and live in the new nature. You don't have to do it. You don't have to succumb to the sin. You have the power through the Holy Spirit to reject the sin. So maybe the reason that we're in a habitual sin is because of, simply because of our human sinful nature and we're more prone to a certain thing than other people. Or other, or your friends. Maybe you're more prone to a certain sin than other people. Number two, it could be because in your past life, you have cultivated habits of sin which now plague you even after your salvation. Or number three, it could be because even in your spiritual weakness, after becoming a Christian, you have continued to develop habits that strengthen your sin. You haven't changed your habit. Listen, just because God loves you and you're called and you're anointed and God has forgiven you of your sin doesn't mean it breaks the habit of sin. That is something that you've got to do. You've got to create your own environment and you've got to create a new healthy way of living. You've got to create new habits in your life. Habits, if habits are formed, what you do every day determines a habit. That habit determines a stronghold. 
that stronghold can, can determine your destiny. And somebody say amen. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying there's at least two types of categories of sin. There's what we call general sin, general sin, which we're all tempted. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in all ways, like us. He was tempted in a general way. So there is general sin, and then there is habitual sins. Everybody say habitual sins. These are sins that we are stuck in a cycle. There is repentance, there is deliverance, and then there's back to sin. And there's this continual guilt of our sin. It's the habitual sin. It's the habitual. Yes, we're all tempted in sin. There's general sin. But yet then there is another level, a deeper level of sin, which is habitual sin. It's habitual sin, personal habitual sins. We commit it, then we confess it, we ask God to forgive us. So the question is, we know that God can forgive our sins, but what about the sins that we commit on a regular basis? What about those habitual sins? The same sin that we commit over and over and over again. Well, the Bible says that this is not a new subject by no means. We think it's new, but it certainly is not new. One of the greatest men of the Bible, which is the Apostle Paul, describes his struggle in Romans chapter 7 and verse 14. Look at it. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Apostle Paul describes his struggle with sin. Look at what he says. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, and I am carnal, sold, sold under sin. Verse number 15, he goes on and says this, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? There is a struggle in my life. The things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I want to do, I don't do. How many can raise your hand and say, Pastor, I've been there before in my life. Raise your hand. 30 people. I said, is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I've been there in my life. Those things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I want to do, I don't do. See, there's a struggle. This is not new to Christianity. There is a, there is a struggle. I love what the, uh, I love uh, my encyclopedia, my, my, uh, my biblical illustrator said this, and I quote, the Christian is not yet a just man made perfect, but a just man fighting his way to perfection. Just because you are justified of your sin, you are converted at the moment of conversion does not make you doesn't make you perfect in that you are perfect spiritually. But you still have to wrestle with that sinful nature. You are a just man fighting your way to perfection. Fighting your way to perfection. So the question is, is can a man do what is wrong while he wills to do what is right? Can a man do what is wrong while he wills what is right? Can you do what's wrong and yet at the same time will to do what's right. That is the struggle of sin. That's the struggle of habitual sin. You don't want to do it. You've already confessed it. You've already repented of it. You don't want to do it. You want to do what's right. But you do what's wrong. There's that struggle on the inside of you. Let me say this and let me say it loud and clear, ladies and gentlemen. That sin is a serious thing. It is a serious thing, and sometimes I don't believe that we take our sin as serious as it could be. The question is, is it possible for Christians to commit repeated sins? Of course. Of course. From the book of Hebrews, we know that there were some sort of sin, whether it was unbelief or whether they were committing the same sin. Yes, it's possible that a Christian could commit the same repeated sin, but it's impossible for them to live in that sin and not repent of it. If you're committing the same sin and there is a stronghold of sin in your life, then there must be continual confession and repentance and contrite of heart. It would say, well, pastor, that doesn't make sense. I love this, this quote here. True believers are habitual confessors who demonstrate that their sin is continually being forgiven. True believers are habitual confessors. Do, would, you, would you like to stay in your sin or would you like to be a habitual confessor? 
Somebody wave your hand and say, preach, pastor. I want to be an habitual confessor. Because I'm demonstrating that every time I have sinned, I'm running to God and I'm not running away from God. And see, that's, that's the difference with a Christian. They run to God. They're habitual confessors. They run to God. They don't run away from God. Christians don't want to sin. Sinners want to sin. So is it possible that Christians can commit the same sin repeatedly over? Yes, it's possible. Now we're going to get to something here in just a minute. Can we be forgiven of that sin? Well, I think it's hard-pressed to say in the Bible that you cannot be forgiven no matter how many times you've sinned. I don't think that God has a status quo about forgiveness, Pastor David. I don't think he's in heaven and he's saying, you know what, Sean, you've sinned five times today and I'm going to cut the limit off today. Pastor Ronnie, you've sinned 12 times today and since you've sinned 12 times, I'm cutting it off at midnight. I don't think we serve a God like that. Now, why? Don't, why? Because I'm going to prove to you in Scripture that I don't think that we serve a God like that. Now, I think that there's a part that we need to play, but let's look at God's forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, look at it. Matthew 18, 21, this is Jesus talking to, his, to Peter here. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. You know, Jesus is not talking about you need to forgive your neighbor 400 and sometimes. That's not what Jesus' point is. Jesus is saying there is unlimited forgiveness. And Peter wanted to be really structured about it. Peter wanted to have a really clear answer about this. Now, Lord, if you just tell me how many times I need to forgive, I'll cut them off. And Jesus is like, no, Peter, you got the wrong concept. My forgiveness is unlimited. Can you wave your hand and say, thank God for his unlimited grace and thank God for his unlimited mercy? Hallelujah. Oh, Pastor David, I was reading this scripture. I about shouted today because I just thought it was awesome. I read this scripture many, many times. And if anybody can just, can anybody can praise God for his unlimited forgiveness, it is King David. King David messed up a lot. And the Bible says that King David was a man after God's own heart. The Bible did not say that King David had God's heart. He was a man after God's heart. He didn't have God's heart. He was a man after God's heart. Is it possible that I can be committing sin and don't want to commit sin and struggling with sin and still be a man that's pursuing the heart of God? He was a man that was broken in sin. He was a man that was struggling with his sin. And this great confession of his soul in Psalm 51 verse 1, look at it. Psalm 51 verse 1, he says, have mercy upon me. Psalm 51 verse 1, he says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. Look at this. According to the multitude of your tender mercies. I'm about to shout right there. Blot out my transgressions. Did you hear what pastor just said? He said, Lord, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. His mercy is, he doesn't just have one mercy, he has a multitude of mercies. Do you know why he has a multitude of mercy? Because I have a multitude of sin. And he has a multitude of mercy to cover my sin. Hallelujah! I said hallelujah! He says, blot out my transgressions. He says, blot out my transgressions. Somebody say transgression. For verse number 3, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me and against you and you only have I done this sin. Verse number 5, behold I was brought forth in iniquity. Now did you get this? He said, Lord blot out my transgression, blot out my sin, and blot out my iniquity. Because I believe that some sins are deeper than other sins. Sin will separate you from God, but some sin has a stronger hold on you than others. And you know what David is saying? David is saying, Pastor David, he was saying, God, don't, just don't blot out just regular sin. Don't just forgive me of just, just general sin, but Lord, come into my heart and purge me of that ingrained sin that has a hold of my life. Purge me from that sin. Blot out my sin. Blot out my transgressions. Blot out my iniquities. Because you have a multitude 
of tender mercies. <clears throat> First John 1 John 1.9 First John chapter 1 verse 9 You hear the writer of 1 John very clear about the forgiveness of God. He says, if you confess your sin, he's speaking to Christians, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not speaking to unbelievers, he's speaking to Christians. John chapter 6 verse 37. John chapter 6 and verse number 37. He was very clear that there is forgiveness of sin. John chapter 6 verse number 37. I want you to see this. And all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one that comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So if you're coming to Him with a repentant heart, He ain't going to cast you out. I'm so glad for that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, this, this is a powerful scripture. For I will be merciful to the unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. I don't know about you, but the mercy of God is a, a multitude. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 verse 19, Luke, who is the writer of Acts, demonstrates to us that there is forgiveness. Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that phrase? Your sins may be blotted out. He carries the analogy of an eraser. That your sin is black. Your sin is present. Your sin is on the paper. But the mercy of His eraser erases it from the paper and the paragraph of your life. Hallelujah. He erases it. Hallelujah. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. Jeremiah 31 verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. The Bible says in verse number 34, look at God's great love. He says, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. You know what he was saying? I was your husband. And you were an unfaithful wife to me. But I love you so much, I'm not going to count it against you. Hallelujah. Psalms 32. Psalms 32. David goes on. I love this scripture. He says, Psalms 32 verse 1. David, he says, after he's forgiven, there's joy in it. He says, blessed is whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Verse number 2, blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. <laughs> Hallelujah. Can somebody say amen? The Bible says in verse number 4, Psalm 32 verse 4, he said, I acknowledge my sin and my iniquity I have not hidden. Verse number 5, he says, I have not hidden my iniquity I've not hidden it from you. I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you will forgive the iniquity of my sin. So I think it's, it's right for me to say that in Scripture, Christians do commit the same sin over and over sometimes. Now we've got to ask the question, why do they do that? Why do Christians commit the same sin over and over sometimes? Well, number one is because it's our sinful nature. Sometimes we're just prone to commit a particular sin more than others. Number two, it could be because of our past life. We've, we've cultivated certain sins which now plague us even after salvation. And it could be that even in our spiritual weaknesses, even after we have become a Christian, we have not cultivated new habits and those old habits are still around that strengthen that sin that we've struggled with. Yes, God forgives sin, is there a limit to His grace? There's no limit to His grace. There's no limit to His forgiveness. He is a merciful God. 
He's a righteous God. He does forgive. Yes, we do commit the same sin over and over. And as Christians, we should be a habitual confessor. We should always be confessing it to God and going before God with a contrite heart. Never thinking that we could hide our sin and being justified from our sin, but always being a habitual confessor to God. So we can be forgiven because His mercy is new every morning. But the question is, why would you want to continue to commit the same sin? Because listen to Pastor Josh, listen. Love doesn't ask questions like, how much is too much? Or how far is too far? Really, I mean, do you want a relationship where you're always trying to evaluate, did I go too far? Or how far can I go and still be forgiven? Really? That's not a love relationship with God. Your mind shouldn't even be programmed to think that way about how far I could get. Your spirit should be saying, how far away from the sin can I get? I'm going to say that again. Your spirit should be saying, how far away from the sin can I get? Not how close to the sin can I get and still be forgiven? The greater question is why am I still struggling with this sin? That's the question. Why am I still struggling? I've been a Christian a long time and I'm still struggling with this sin. It would behoove us to know what the Apostle Paul said. He said in Romans 6, 1, he was quite clear. He says in Romans 6, in verse number 1, he says, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin because grace abounds? Verse number 2, he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in sin? Now, it's possible that you can commit a sin and not actually live in it. But I would say that if you're habitually committing the same sin, you are dwelling in the presence of that sin and you're living in that sin. So what is the problem that we are struggling with the same sin? The greater question tonight is why am I still struggling with this sin? That's, that's the question we've got to ask. Why? What is the root? What is the problem that I'm still struggling over and over? I confess it. I repent of it. I weep. I'm, I ask God to forgive me. I get victory over it. And then I fall right back into it. There's something wrong. There is something wrong somewhere. John 8 verse 11, you remember the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery? You remember that story? The woman that was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8 verse 11. And you remember the words that Jesus said to the woman that was caught in the act of adultery? She said, no one, Lord. Jesus asked, where are your accusers? She said, well, no one. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, Jesus is not implying here that you should be, that you would never sin. Jesus is simply implying this. I saved you from being stoned to death. I redeemed you from the people. They was going to stone this woman to death. Jesus stopped it and wrote in the ground. Jesus stopped this woman from being stoned to death. And then he tells the woman, since I saved you from being stoned to death, you need to stop living in this adulterous relationship. Doesn't mean that this woman wasn't going to struggle with sin. Jesus is simply saying you shouldn't be committing the same sin that I told you that I just delivered you from. You shouldn't be committing the same sin that I just delivered you from. Stop sinning. Stop committing adultery is what Jesus is saying. And go and sin no more. John chapter 13 verse 15 there's another miracle of Jesus. John 13, verse 15. There's another miracle of Jesus, and Jesus is very clear. You, you, see, you see this phrase. Jesus said, John 13, verse 15. For I have given you as an example that you should do as I have done to you. I think that's the scripture. Go to the next verse. I don't know if that's, I don't know if I got the scripture right. Go to the next verse. I don't think that's right. Everybody said that's all right. 
Well, anyway, the scripture says, Jesus said, go and sin no more, for if you do so, he says, greater will come upon you. In other words, if you continue in this sin, something greater, worse than you have done, will come upon you. Now, these are two isolated instances in Scripture where Jesus said, don't, don't go sin no more. And what Jesus is trying to imply here is He's not implying that you are going to be perfect, that there's sinless perfection here. But Jesus is implying that the sin that you were committing, you need to stop. You need to repent of it and go the opposite direction. It's interesting to me that, listen to Pastor Josh, the perfect relationship with God is a person who is sinless. That's what we call a perfect relationship. And that's what we should desire. We should desire perfection. We should move on to perfection. We should progress towards perfection. Now we know that we'll never obtain it here. But we should progress for perfection. And it's interesting to me that Matthew 5 verse 48, I never saw this in the Greek, but I want you to see this. Matthew 5 48 Jesus says to his disciples, Matthew 5, verse 48, he says, therefore you should be perfect, just as my Father in heaven is perfect. Now obviously, if we could obtain perfection, that would be awesome. But if you look at the Greek word perfect there, it, is a, it, is not, it does not demand a state of being, but rather it denotes a direction in which you to go, in which you are to go. So it's not a state of being as it is in a direction that you should go. So the way of perfection is a way of direction. Let me say that again. The way of perfection is the way of direction. I'm going to say it again. The way of perfection is the way of... Come on, help pastor out. The way of... The way of perfection is the way of direction. Who, what direction should you be following? You should be following Jesus because He is the way to perfection. So in other words, you, may never re you will never reach sinless perfection in this life, but you should be going in the direction of Jesus who is perfect. So what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that even in your struggling in sin, even when you are struggling with sin, you should be in a habitual confessor that's always running in the direction of Jesus and never running the opposite direction. Can somebody say amen? Because the trick of the enemy is when you're struggling with sin, for the enemy to tell you to give it up, it ain't working, prayer ain't working, church ain't working, Bible reading ain't working, and what does people do? They turn around and digress. That's the trick of the enemy. But tonight I've exposed you to the truth because the way of perfection is the way of direction. And I'm going to get up and I'm going to run and I'm going to confess. I'm going to confess. I'm going to plead. I'm going to worship. I'm going to go in the way of direction. I'm not going the, I'm not going the other direction. You see, for me to get up here and just lay hands on you and say, listen, as of tonight, your habitual sinning is now delivered. I've done that for 16 years praying for people. And somehow it just, sometimes it just don't work. Because you've got to develop new habits in your life. <laughs> you've got to go in that direction. You've got to go pursuing Jesus. You've got to continue to grow. And I'm convinced, listen to pastor, I'm convinced that if you go in the direction of Jesus, because that's the way of perfection and you keep going in that direction and you keep growing, I promise you, the sin that you are struggling with, you will get victory over it. But the reason, listen, the reason that we don't get victory over our repeated sins is because we are stalling too much and we're not going in that direction. And you know why I think that we don't get victory over repeated sins? Because we don't take sin serious. And so therefore we don't deal with our sins seriously. I'm going to say that one more time. The reason that we commit the same sin over and over is because we really don't think sin is that serious. 
And when you don't think sin is serious, you're not going to deal with it seriously. I'm going to say that one more time. When you don't deal with sin seriously, you're not going to seriously deal with it. If you do not look at sin as a serious thing, as a serious offense towards God, then you're not going to strongly deal with it. Do you realize that your sin separates you from the presence of God? And if you don't have the right perspective of what sin is, you're not going to seriously deal with it. It amazes me. Christians backbite and talk one another and, and feud and fight, and you don't think that that harms the body of Christ and hurts the heart of God? You don't look at your sin seriously. And when you don't deal with it seriously, you're going to commit the same sin over and over. And over and over. Because you don't think it's really that serious. It is serious. It's very serious. One of the most tragic days in history happened on August the 17th, 1662. Happened in England. A very tragic day because it was the last day that certain pastors would be able to preach to their congregations before these pastors were exiled. Some of these pastors in 1662, they lost their lives. They were exiled from England. And they were exiled to other countries. The reason for that was because England had a law that was called the Act of Conformity. And this law had been developing for years. And finally, on August the 17th, August the 17th 1662, a very tragic day happened where all those Protestant pastors were banned from their churches that they could not preach any longer. Those particular pastors were known as nonconformist because these pastors did not want to conform to the rituals and the ceremonies of the Church of England. The Church of England wanted to be the state religion and they wanted all churches to follow the common book of prayer and to follow their rituals and their ceremonies. But there was a group of pastors in England that did not want to submit to the Church of England nor follow their ceremonies because they believed they had swayed from Orthodox Christianity and Biblical Christianity. And these pastors preached with fervency and with fire against the Church of England. Most of you know who they are. They were known as the Puritans. These Puritans, these pastors and followers, they were known as nonconformists because they didn't want to conform to the structure and ceremonies of the Church of England because they believed that the Church of England neglected the Word of God for the most part and they had developed a form of godliness and denied the power thereof. So on August the 17th, 1662, England exiled all of these Puritans from their country. 2,500 ministers were exiled from, the, from England. And they were forbidden to preach. Many of them were killed. They were exiled to other countries, lost their families. History tells us that over 60,000 families were interrupted because of what England did to these pastors and preachers and ministers and their families. But on August the 17th, August the 17th, 1662, was the very last Sunday that the Church of England would allow these preachers to preach. And you know what's interesting? There is a, a book called The Farewell Sermons. The Farewell Sermons is about a book about this thick. And in this book, it had sermons of these preachers preaching their last Sunday. They stood before their people with tears dripping from their eyes. And they preached. And if you look at those sermons, Brother Doug, those sermons recalled that these pastors stood before their people and they told their people that this is the will of God. That they may take our churches, they may ban us from their country, they may exile us to a foreign country, but this is the will of God because we stand for righteousness. 
Many of those preachers died that day. Oh, it was, it was bloody. Families were torn apart. But those pastors boldly stood and they preached with conviction. They preached with fervency. One of those sermons that I find so interesting was a powerful, powerful sermon preached by the, by the man of Pastor Clemmy. Pastor Clemmy made a statement in one of his sermons that really struck me. He said he got up that Sunday morning, this last Sunday, and he said to his people, he said, people of God, calamity is all around us. The greatest calamity that our people have ever known is right before us. This is a great tragedy. It's a great horror. There is evil on every side. It's a great calamity. But he said, people of God, there is something that I want you to know this morning. There is, there is something greater than what you see with your natural eye. There is a greater calamity that's happening. And this great calamity is not happening around us. He said, but the greatest calamity that could ever happen happens within us. For there is more evil in one of the least sins that we've committed than the greatest misery than we could ever experience. You see what he said? He said, yes, there's bloodshed around us. Yes, they had forbidden us to preach. We're leaving our churches. It's a great tragedy, but there is something that's greater than this. The greatest tragedy is that you don't even realize that the very least sin that you've committed is the worst tragedy of all. We talk about how bad America is. I think we need to stop and talk about how bad our sin is. You need to realize how wretched and broken we are because of our own sin. It will make you point the finger to yourself. You look at your life and you say, boy, I have a rough life. I don't have money to pay my bills. My children's this and I don't have enough money. Is that the greatest tragedy there is? Or could your sin be the greatest tragedy? Do you realize how serious sin really is? You don't really understand what sin can really do to you. There is more evil and the most little sin that you could commit than the greatest tragedy that you could see with your eyes. You know why I believe we commit the same sin over and over? Because we don't realize how sinful that that we don't realize how serious that sin really is. So therefore we keep on with our life. We keep doing it and asking forgiveness. And thank God He does forgive us. Thank God there is mercy. Thank God there's hope. But I'm telling you, you don't have to commit the same sin over and over. Be loose from it and free from it. Because if you don't believe that your sin is serious, you won't deal with your serious sin in a serious way. What about it, ladies and gentlemen? Things we don't talk about on a Sunday night. We don't talk about those repeated sins. Let me remind you, that yes, there can be a tendency to commit the same sin over and over. Why? Because there could be some sins that you're just more prone to than others because of our sinful nature. It could be because of our past life, we have cultivated habits of sin that now plague us in our new relationship with Christ. And it could be that our spiritual weaknesses as Christians, we continue to develop habits that strengthen our sin. Yes, there's forgiveness. Is it possible that we could commit the same sin over and over? Yes. Can we be forgiven of it? Yes. Because the Christian is not just a, the Christian is not a man that's 
that is just and then made perfect. It is a just man fighting his way to perfection. Growing in grace. Is it possible that a Christian can commit repeated sins? Yes. But is it possible that we can be forgiven? Yes. If there's confession and repentance, there is. But the greater question is, is why would you want to stay in the sin? God forbid that we should even live in the sin. Yes, we should be habitual confessors that demonstrate our continual need for forgiveness. That's great. But as Christians, we should be growing. We should be in the way of perfection. And the way of perfection is found in the way of direction. That is to Jesus. So my my challenge to you tonight is this. If you're struggling with sin and repeated sin, and the same sin over and over, don't ever give up. I want you to be in a habitual confessor. I want you to run to Jesus because the way of perfection is in the way of His direction. Keep going in that direction. Never give up. Keep going to God with a contrite heart. But you also have to understand that you can be free from that cycle when you realize that your sin is serious and you need to deal with it seriously. Confess it to God. Be contrite before God. Be accountable to someone. Be transparent to someone. Let somebody hold you accountable. Develop a devotional life. Because if there's not a devotional life, you will be an emotional wreck. And then practice spiritual disciplines. The spiritual discipline of solitude. The spiritual discipline of fasting. The spiritual discipline of meditation. The spiritual discipline of meditating on the Word of God. They must be practiced in your life. The greater the sin, greater the consecration. Greater the sin, greater the consecration. You think you can just sweep it under the rug and say a few prayers? Greater the sin, greater the consecration. How consecrated are you? How consecrated are you? Hallelujah.